we want to see where there's an alignment of interest between the strategy that they have and what CalSTRS goals are. And since roughly 70% of our portfolio will always be to build a core portfolio of assets to produce cash flow for the organization, is that strategy that they have also aligned with what CalSTRS goals are? And that's mm-hmm. where there's a really key difference between fund investing and either joint ventures or separate accounts. Because as we go into lab space, for instance, and if we're the sole partner with somebody, we want to control the buy-sell decision. Hello, and thanks for tuning into Real Estate Capital. I'm your host, Nancy Lachine of Park Madison Partners. Park Madison is a capital solutions and advisory firm serving the global institutional real estate business. We sit at the intersection of real estate managers and their capital partners. In bringing these two groups together, we speak to a broad range of thought leaders about recent trends in real estate investing, capital markets, operations, and technology. And on this show, we try to bring some of those insights and conversations directly to you. In this episode that we recorded in February 2021, my guest is Mike DeRay, Director of Real Estate for the California State Teachers Retirement System, or CalSTRS. Mike is one of the most recognizable figures in the institutional real estate community. Over the past two decades at CalSTRS, he's overseen the meteoric rise of its real estate portfolio from $3.2 billion in 2000 to $52 billion today. My colleague Amy Cummings joined us on this podcast where we peppered Mike with lots of questions about CalSTRS manager selection process, lessons learned, and the winding path that led him to a key leadership role at one of the largest U.S. pension funds. Our discussion begins with Mike's start in the industry as an analyst for Deloitte, sitting in on a presentation to CalSTRS Board of Directors. We have a special treat in store for this podcast today. One of my partners, Amy Cummings, will be joining us along with Mike DeRay of CalSTRS. Mike, you now have 35 years of industry experience, including 20 at CalSTRS, where you lead a team of 25 real estate professionals. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate being here. And it's 25 professionals and me, so it's a total staff of 26. (laughs) Thanks for the clarification. We appreciate that. (laughs) So you had the experience of real estate consulting and then also being at CalPERS before you joined CalSTRS. Did you ever have the experience of being a consultant and presenting to the board as so many of us in the industry do? Yeah, just once I did at Deloitte and Touche, and I was really more the analyst in the background, but presenting to CalPERS, which was a client when I was at Deloitte and Touche. And then, of course, a number of times as a staff member, both at CalPERS and at CalSTRS. But I do remember how intimidating it was. And so I did feel bad for people when they would go up there and because of the randomness of the questions that would come from the board members. And we would always try to prepare people when they would go in front of the board because there are certain board members that had certain things that they wanted to talk about. Some might have, you know, what are you doing with respect to landscaping? Because I remember at first we had a we had a board member that really wanted to talk about the landscaping on pretty much every project. And those were the days when every project went in front of the board. It was crazy. You know, I think that both the private market experience, I did work at Liquidity Fund, a small group that traded limited partnership interest as my first job out of school. That experience and being with Deloitte and Touche and doing all sorts of consulting jobs really, I think, prepared me well for seeing what opportunities and options were out there when I got to PERS and eventually over to STRS. So you spent some time in the private sector and then you went to CalPERS. And when did you end up at CalSTRS? I spent seven years at CalPERS and then in 2000, 
there was an opening at CalSTRS and I applied for it. It was a strange situation where I had to interview in front of the board because the CIO and the CEO had both just either retired or moved on to another position. And so they had no one to interview. So I went in front of the board and interviewed. And I remember like the classic question, why should we hire you? And I remember saying, I will make you nimble. And that was the problem with pension funds at that time. I said, I really think that we can make you a nimble player in the marketplace. And really, nothing's changed to this day. It's really such a challenge to make these large amounts of capital nimble. And it's really the challenge for my staff on a regular basis for the whole 20 years we've been there. Wow. I will make you nimble. You know, I think maybe that should be embroidered in, you know, a pillow on your couch in the office. That's, that's an amazing I didn't tell them it would take 30 years. I said it. I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was job security for you, right? Well, let's just keep him until he makes us nimble. He said he would. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so give us a sense of how you have tried to position Calster's capital in the market. Maybe, you know, give us a little history lesson too, like where you started and how it's evolved. Sure. I think what everyone saw if they were in the industry at that time of how limited the opportunity set was, whether I was over at FERS, which was predominantly just separate accounts and core real estate at the time frame I was there. They also did some mortgage debt. And when I went to STRS, the fund was roughly $100 billion and the real estate allocation was 4%. It was $4 billion. So uh, simple math at that time. And you know, they wanted to do more and they had some separate accounts and some funds. And, you know, the basic structure at that point in time was any type of tactical investments we would do through opportunity funds, whatever funds were available in the marketplace. And then, you know, then it would try to build some core real estate business, mainly with advisors that were from the insurance side of the business. And so it was pretty much what was available at the time. And there was a good staff there and, and at PERS. Some, and it was just starting to get more people with private market experience. And we were fortunate first when I got there, there were three people that I had had recently and then within the last two years come over from the private side at LaSalle ABK. And I remember getting there and sitting down. There were four of us, and I'm doing air quotes of professionals. And how are we going to <laughs> change the program and move the program? And so what we said is, okay, let's figure out the best way to do these investments. And that's Probably the biggest difference from CalSTRS versus the industry at the time is we focused by product type and just try to figure out what are the best relationships to build a good deal flow, you know, in these product types. So who are the best partners out there? Instead of just looking at these general accounts, how can we have more relationships specific to these specializations? And this kind of grew from there. And I tried to make sure that let's not worry about structures and not be limited by the structures that we invest in. And I would go out and do the legwork within the organization to make sure the structures were okay with the legal department, the accounting department, audits and things. That was the beginning of how we started to kind of try to change the way we were looked at in the industry. So you, at the time, you had some separate accounts and then you had some commingled funds. Did you give discretion in those early days on the separate accounts? That was one of the big changes that needed to happen to become nimble. And all deals would come in front of the board. And I think about a year and a half into the job, I went to the board and just told them that we're not seeing the best opportunities out there because you, know, you guys meet once every two months. 
and I have to, and my staff have to tie up assets, you know, to wait for you to approve deals. And I show them their track record that I think there was 30 deals that had come in front of the board or transactions and they approved all 30. And I said, look, you either have to start turning some down or just give us the discretion to do them because we're taking a lot of time and we're not seeing the best deals in the marketplace. So you have to give discretion to us. Otherwise, we're not going to see the same deal flow that other groups are seeing. And that kind of pushing discretion down, and that was happening in other parts of the organization as well. Chris Ailman, who joined Calsters the same year I did, about three months after me, he had the same thing. We have to have more discretion. So the discretion from the board to the CIO, to the CIO to the directors of the various asset classes. Then I would push it down to the portfolio manager. And then they would try to push it down as much as they could to our joint venture partners or separate account partners. But that took about three years to really get that all that set up in place. Did you have a lot of pushback from the board about that? No, we didn't. I mean, there were a lot of questions when we first were instituting it. And then they just wanted to make sure it would make us more nimble in the marketplace. And, and so they were very helpful. They would have to sign off on all the structural changes and the process changes we would have. And of course, the legal department would as well. We've had a lot of consistency at Calsters, which I think has helped us move forward. We've Cox Castle as our legal group, and we've actually had, you know, kind of the same. Amy Wells has been with us that whole period of time, and John Poole. And so these folks, this consistency has allowed us to kind of make sure that we're also checking all the boxes, which a pension fund needs. You have to have multiple sides, make sure you're doing things the right way. But everybody kind of played a part in us. You know, just kind of changing the structure of the program and having kind of a common sense investment process. Wow. I remember those Amy and John from 30 years ago. They have been with you for a really long time. It's amazing. How did your relationships evolve with your managers as you were able to, you know, give them more discretion or give the staff more discretion in making decisions? Well, it would be case by case. We still have some of the same managers that were in place at that time. I think C.B. Richard Ellis was in place. Some of the people have changed, but the relationship is still there. Uh, Principal Investment Group is still there. And, you know, where that has changed is as Calsters grew and the portfolio got larger, we could ask for kind of dedicated teams to work with us. So if we were giving a lot of capital, let's say the C.B. Richard Ellis in the office space, industrial space, we would ask for a dedicated team that... Mm -hmm could assist us in building the portfolio. And then they would help us get more comfortable with taking more risk to get higher returns, whether we're going to be development or redevelopment strategies. Just keep in mind, back in 2000, people just bought core real estate. It was not normal for a pension fund to buy a half-empty building or to do a development. And so Mm -hmm. having people on our staff that were more comfortable in that way, and then working with kind of opening the door to our advisors and our joint venture partners and saying, hey, we would be willing to take this risk if you can protect us from, you know, what are the issues that might come up? But it was a process and just having people comfortable with it, you know, got us to move forward and take those additional risk return opportunities. As the portfolio has grown, obviously you've had to figure out how to invest as a larger investor. By definition, that might preclude you from doing, say, smaller or mid-sized funds or certain types of property. So how have you kept that balance? What do you think as a real estate investor is important to think about so that you're really getting maximizing your ability to invest in the whole spectrum of real estate? 
but still obviously put the amount of capital to work that you need to. One of the themes that we have whenever we're talking to a potential investment partner is really trying to keep it simple. And we kind of have a theme internally of do what's right by the real estate. So if the real estate strategy is to be very tactical, to move in and out of the product quickly, then you know a fund might be the best way to handle that. The stress debt is a great example. You know, the staff does not need to get involved. It's not going to add a lot of value by getting involved in a distressed debt strategy. So strategies like that, you know, would be great to do through a fund investment. But strategies that where you're building a long-term core portfolio, then the staff should have, you know, more control over the hold sell analysis or the hold sell period and also the leverage levels and things of that nature and mm-hmm. be able to kind of turn on and off the spigots from various product types. With respect to fund investments, we recognize that when a fund would come to Callister's and would be of a size of, say, between $100 and $500 million, when we need to put out you know, per relationship, although we've grown over time, we've always felt, hey, a relationship has to be 100 or $200 million. Now we look at relationships and say they should be three to $500 million. Just keep in mind the portfolio is you know, roughly $36 billion. So we don't want to go into a fund that is and dominate, nor does the fund manager want us to be dominant in the fund. So we have to limit the fund investing we do to probably what might be called moderately sized funds now. And then talk to the partner and say, is there something that Calsters can do that has a better alignment of interest with what your goals are? Perhaps it might be, we can provide co-investment, we can have kind of a side account with you, or maybe we would invest in a different structure with your organization. Because we do mm-hmm. want any relationship we have on an ongoing basis to make a meaningful impact to CalSearch. Because even though mm-hmm. we have 25 staff members, that's still a limited amount of time we can spend with each partner. Right. So fund investing is still an important part of our program. I think it's about 25% of our holdings are through funds or some investments. So one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, Mike, is the culture that you've created at STIRS because you talked about wanting to tell the board that you would be nimble. But one of the other things that you've talked to me about over time is to be accessible. And one of the questions I get from people who BS laughing at conferences is, I can't get through to CalSTRS. And how do I get XYZ to return my call? How do I access that? And when we talked about having you do this podcast, one of your goals was to just let people know the right process to reach out to CalSTRS. I will tell you all, by the way, it's not LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook or anything else for Mike. He is not a social media guy. So don't, don't be frustrated by that. But Mike, how is it? That but, but Mike, will you listen to the podcast? I have listened to your podcast. I will not listen to mine. I'll probably you know, freak out. But I have listened to yours. So, yeah, don't call me. That's a waste of time. Actually, it's really getting to know us. I do think that we're generally accessible. I don't like the idea of annually going out and saying, hey, these are the things we're going to invest in. And, you know, hey, come one, come all on these strategies and let's evaluate the strategies. It's just overwhelming. And I do encourage our staff to get out there into the marketplace, whether it be, you know, to go to the conferences we all go to, but also go to the ULI. And if you're focused on a certain product type and there's, you know, if you're in the apartment business and you got to go to where the apartment people go and have those conversations. And from the fun side, 
I think that our people are well known in the industry and calling them and them just saying, hey, are these interesting to you? And we do try to say, hey, a quick no is better than a long maybe. We do like to hear new ideas. I don't think that the real estate program has been the four major food groups, 95% of what we invest in the four major food groups for the first 15 years I was there. I would be willing to bet, you know, three to five years from now, that number is down to 60 to 70%. So we do need some of the new ideas and new concepts. You know, the pension industry is slow to follow what's happening in the REIT markets of where the capital is flowing. But we do need these new relationships and we do like to have the conversations. And I challenge the team that is growing to bring something new to the table. And I would say get to know our team. You know, it was fairly simple if someone wanted to do, when it was more simple from the standpoint of these are the four major groups we invest in, they would go through those portfolio managers and they would kind of shape how they want their program to grow. But now that we're looking through a number of different things, we are going to try to be more accessible and make sure that there's a clear path for people to know where, who they need to talk to at CalCert. And Mike, if they, if someone wants to find out who's in charge of industrial or who's in charge of multifamily, is that on the website or is there a way that they can find out who the contact person is if they have some amazing, creative, unique deal flow or access that they want to pitch? Wow. You want us to update our website. Wow. Uh, I don't want you to update your LinkedIn. I give up on you on that, but... I do think that's something where we can improve it. I don't think that we have a great website that would direct people well. And I'll take that as a challenge, Amy. And I guess you're offering your help to, to make sure that our <laughs> oh, oh, of course. Can I make a suggestion? Find someone, you know, maybe just out of college. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice, Amy. <laughs> Thank you for uh, that, Nancy. I, I appreciate that. So I guess we're still a little bit old school, and that sounds like a challenge that we can put something out there that's a little more directive, and we'll do that. But you do have programs in place as well, though. You do have a program for emerging managers, and you have been willing to look at unique ideas over time. And so while it's difficult to be hired as a new separate account manager for CalSTRS, because you have so many GPs that are doing a great job for you, if somebody has a unique deal or something really special, you have a GP in place that will review a unique deal. And you've made yourself, I think, quite accessible and friendly in the marketplace, which I think is just amazing. So we do use a group called Belay that has helped us for years to look at the emerging manager programs. And some very good ideas have bubbled up through that and some relationships that are growing through that strategy. And we've increased the amount of capital that we've given to Belay. So the smaller managers, we do have a path to invest with smaller managers through Belay and an allocation we have with them on the emerging manager front. But I would say if someone is specific to a strategy, you know, I jokingly say, don't call me, but you can reach out to me via email and, you know, my name's out there and stuff. I will try to tell them, hey, we're not doing this. Like, for instance, we're not a big hotel investor. We think that's an operating business. So... We don't plan on doing a lot of hotels, and I will tell someone that, hey, that's not for us. But there are areas that we're spending more time and looking into and want to build relationships. And then we assign staff to look in the marketplace on that. So we do have paths for the places that we're interested in going and reaching out, either through the portfolio managers or people they know. At CalSTRS is a good way to do it. And at all, I'll still send me an email. Wow. Okay. So, Amy, I'm just going to say, like, this is 
once again, proving what an amazing salesperson you are because you actually got Mike to say on a podcast, it's okay to email me. I can't believe you got him to say that, but boom. Well, let's move on. Even more, I was going to say, Nancy, now that we're a placement agent, it always makes me laugh that people call to ask me because I groveled to Mike for a decade or more. Finally got one piece of business that made sense to him and lost my job right after that. So I have not had the best luck with CalSTRS, to be honest. But since we're a placement agent, we can't market to California funds. But for a small fee, I can provide you with my email address. And for a very large fee, I can give you his home phone number. So we okay. guys well, know that's, that's a joke, guys. Let's just be really clear. This is a joke. I am the compliance officer. But Amy's really good at doing favors for people. Okay. Aim, are you done? Okay, one more thing. This will be my last... Wait a second, Amy. This will be my last podcast ever. (laughs) 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 It's my first and maybe my last. (laughs) Okay, so you've laid out the roadmap, Mike, and I think you said it at the beginning, first time's a charm, which was don't call me. Everyone's got that. But now that we've kind of laid that out, maybe I'll just move on to... You know, you started out by saying you first landed this job by telling the board that you would make them nimble. And I have to say, I haven't heard a real estate officer running a portfolio of your size before say out loud that what's been defined as core, the four food groups, will only represent 60 or 70% of the portfolio in a few years, which makes a lot of sense to all of us today, but it's a huge statement. So the risk of having anybody call you who might be in some other categories... Can you share with us what's going to fill in that other 30 or 40%? Where are you going to be putting these dollars to work with retail and maybe office are less important in the portfolio? Yeah, and keep in mind the definition is part of this. So as the definitions change in our marketplace, you know, some of our offshoots, like for instance, lab. A lot of people are talking about doing lab work. We have categorized that as office. We're going to separate that category out. We might separate out cold storage. We're not sure how much cold storage. So things like that that we think that has a specialized nature, we're kind of following our roots. We believe that these are so specialized, even though they're categorized as part of one of the major food groups, we think that if we're going to grow our business into these areas, we want specialists in those areas, not just someone who's doing it on the side. That's where we're going to grow those programs. And so we're interested in senior housing. We're interested in lab storage. We would also categorize you know, the things that we're looking at right now is single family for rent. And we think that those are separate categories if they grow large enough. And we wouldn't keep them as a subcategory. Also like storage, we've had a tough time getting capital out into storage. And that would be a separate category as well. So if we're going to make a play into these areas and make a difference in the portfolio, the strategy has to grow to like a billion dollars for it to make a dent. And if it grows mm-hmm. to that size, then we think that that is appropriately a way for us to grow. So people ask us, of course, as placement agents all the time, what does it take to be successful to manage capital for a client like CalSTRS? And we say you need two things. You need to be a really good operator and you need to be a fiduciary and understand it's not your money, it's your client's money. So as you move into these specialty areas, which obviously you'll be talking more to operators who are specialists in those areas. How are you thinking about the fiduciary component? Does someone have to become an RIA to manage money for CalSTRS? Will you use a third party to oversee the relationship? How are you figuring that out? Wow. 
I'm going to go ahead and try to get in trouble now. I don't <laughs> see the RIA as being that valuable, to be honest. And we had a number of partners that went down the path to get the RIA and what they've gone through. It really seems like the RI designation for real estate is trying to find its way. So it's not a requirement for us. And I don't think it should be a requirement in our industry. We certainly, in our legal documents, we hold people to a fiduciary standard. And I believe it is more thorough than what the RIA is asking for. So we want them to be a fiduciary and we hold them to a high standard. You know, but Nancy, what I would say is we want to see where there's an alignment of interest between the strategy that they have and what CalSTRS goals are. And since roughly 70% of our portfolio will always be to build a core portfolio of assets to produce cash flow for the organization, is that strategy that they have also aligned with what CalSTRS goals are? And that's where there's a really key difference between fund investing and either joint ventures or separate accounts. Because as we go into lab space, for instance, and if we're the sole partner with somebody, we want to control the buy-sell decision. We want to control the major capital decision. Not that we're in there on every detail for it, mm-hmm. but if we no longer want to be in the space, then we want to have the right to push for the sale of the asset. And I think that that's where we've had very thoughtful investors come and talk with us that we both get something out of it. You know, developer partners, for instance, that want to build some AUM so they have some other type of revenue. It's not Mm -hmm. just based on develop and sell, develop and sell. That's where we've had significant alignment of interest with development partners because Mm -hmm. they want to build an AUM. We want to build AUM. They certainly have to hire a number of different people in their shop, but we've grown relationships that way. And it works for both parties. They have to take the risk that at some point, if we don't want to be in that asset class anymore, or if the real estate allocation shrinks, which it never has, they have to take that risk. Then we also have to be open to them having other partners. I'll be honest. When we first started doing this program, we were so focused on getting deal flow, we would negotiate exclusivity and want we want all your deal flow to come to us. And when we were growing rapidly, that made sense for us and it made sense for our partners. But now it makes more sense for us to say, look, our growth is not going to be rapid like it was before. And Mm -hmm. we can bring other partner relationships in here. Maybe we share assets with other partners going forward. Maybe we have our portfolio and we have deal flow rotation. But we're more open to other structures and the way that we manage our relationships now than we were in the past. Wow. Gosh, Mike, that makes so much sense. I have to ask you what's probably a hard question, or maybe not, I don't know, but benchmarking. So you have this really thoughtful approach to building out your portfolio and building relationships. How are you benchmarked within CalSTRS and how are you thinking about benchmarking your partners? That is so tough. And I don't know that we have the right answer. We use Odyssey. So by policy, 60 to 70% of our portfolio is core and Odyssey is the closest thing we have. But by the way, 90% of our portfolio is U.S. Only 10% is outside the U.S. And we do plan on growing outside the U.S. But that, that's one of the problems. We don't have a good benchmark outside the U.S., so we're working on that. But within the U.S., we use Odyssey. And then if we're taking risk, we just add a premium to Odyssey. So for value add, I believe we had 50 to 100 basis points. And for opportunistic strategies, and we call that trying to get mid-teen returns, we add 300 basis points. And then it's a blended benchmark. So essentially, right now, we have to be Odyssey by 70 and you know we have great partner relationships the team's doing really well and you know we're exceeding that pretty handily right now and so that's good but is it the right benchmark 
it works for us now. I don't think it's hard for us. We've been doing a lot of debt investments. That doesn't really fit well well with that benchmark. We've been doing international investments. Clearly doesn't fit with the benchmark. So it's not perfect. It's what we use. Oh, I'm going to ask you another hard question now. Are you concerned, you know, in this COVID world about appraisers not marking down the open-end funds quickly enough, especially office and retail? Yeah. And we have unique conversations with our partners regarding that. And for us, my memory of when COVID really hit was right around March 15th. I think I was getting ready to go to a St. Patty's Day party. No, that's a different story. (laughs) (laughs) And we called all our partners and said, hit it. You know, this thing is real and, you know, hit it. Don't drag it out over time. And we have all the assets appraised by a third-party appraiser that are in or within the joint venture or the separate account portfolios annually. But in those other three quarters, if the manager has control of the value and we told everybody to hit it, you know, and it was mainly in retail at that time in apartments. And we mm-hmm. hit it pretty hard. And we mm-hmm. eventually caught back up. In fact, we hit it too hard. And so versus Odyssey, we had our first loss versus Odyssey in that March quarter in five years. And mm-hmm. so in hindsight, we hit it too hard, but I think it was the right thing to do because I think we had a realistic view of what the portfolio was worth. And I think we're in the same position now, but I do understand the struggle. What is an office building worth if you don't see any transactions? Right. We don't know until you put it on the market. And so I see them struggling with it and we don't pay the appraisers so much for them to we beat them down on a price per appraisal and say, hey, we want you to be really thoughtful about this. And they don't have the data. So I think it's a real challenge. I do think there's a reality check that our advisors have the ability to know if values have declined. And I believe they should hit it and be honest with the investors. Yeah, I'm realizing that we're getting that we're coming on to an hour. What have we not talked about? We talked a little bit about your team. Kudos for putting together a great one, getting people like Mitch and Julie to come back. You all seem to have fun with each other and enjoy what you do. What have we not talked about that would be helpful for people to know about DIRT? Well, I do think we're expanding. I do appreciate that you know some of the things you're hearing in the industry now about CalSTRS is this discussion about the collaborative model, which we're a little bit of the example of internally to CalSTRS because you know, we've tried these new and innovative structures and strategies. They're essentially common sense structures and strategies. It's just, if you have a lot of capital, you have more opportunities of ways to invest. And the board has reacted to that by allowing us to add more team members. Like you mentioned, uh, Julie Donegan and Mitch Place have joined the team, and we've given them specific assignments that will help us do more. And Mitch has been really focused on uh, debt investments and also looking at how we manage our own internal debt. We are unique and we have a line of credit for CalSTRS. I think some of the Canadian pension funds do. And we've had a line of credit for about 10 years now with different banks. And that, that helps us be more flexible in the marketplace that we loan that capital out to our development partners so they don't have to spend a lot of time going out and getting development loans. So we constantly are striving to just, you know, what is the private market doing and what can CalSTRS do to be competitive with the private market with our capital? And as the market's moving faster and changing faster, we're trying to change with it. And so mm-hmm. we enjoy the conversation. We don't take ourselves that seriously. I think one common thread amongst all the staff at Calsters, I think we all have spouses that, you know, put us in our place when we get home. And uh, <laughs> and so I think that that's a nice thing, you know, is we take our job seriously, but try not to take ourselves too seriously because these chairs can be, you know, be, can kind of be both intimidating and difficult sometimes to manage from. 
gosh, if the last year has taught us anything, it's about not taking any of ourselves too seriously or anything for granted. You know, I know you work crazy long hours. In fact, you've been gracious enough to do this with us over a weekend. So tell us, Mike, what do you do for fun? <laughs> Recently, <laughs> I had a fun COVID experience in that we had a lot of unfortunate work on our house. We had a sewer type break and stuff, which started a rat infestation. And my son and I um, have been uh, catching rats in our garage. And then we play. I have a Miss Pac-Man game at home. I love Miss Pac-Man. And so we play Miss Pac-Man through us to you know, take the dead rat out of the trap. So that's been fun. But I think we're done catching rats. I think we caught all seven yes. of them. We're done with that. But otherwise, we're, you know, I'm very fortunate. We have a couple little places we can go to, some family cabins to get away and, you know, spend some time doing that. You know, I'm really old school. I love to play little, you know, board games. I'm super competitive. There's not a game of chance, but I won't want to play. Very immature. Some kid is playing Monopoly. I try to get my way into that game. I should be good at Monopoly. <laughs> I think that would be good. <laughs> yeah. You know, just uh, I live a pretty simple life and I'm blessed, actually. I try to keep things uncomplicated and just have fun, you know, try to relax. It's a good thing. Fun. Well, yeah. I'm glad, Amy, you haven't jumped it. Did you know that Amy has pet rats? But we will maybe move on from there. So you, yeah. you at least there's some places you can deposit them if you caught them alive. So, Mike, <laughs> what have you learned from your parents? or maybe your spouse, who I've heard is delightful, or your kids, that just help you on a day-to-day basis with this massive job that you do? Well, my interest in real estate really came from my dad, who was a local investor, and that's all I really wanted to do. When I went to you know, Sac State and got a degree in finance and real estate, I just wanted to be a local investor. And, and what I found from the investments he made versus the investments CalSTRS makes, is they're not any different. It's really simple. It goes back to what I said earlier, that do what's right by the real estate. If you don't make it too complicated, you get through it. And I learned just treat people well, try to communicate well, and really try to balance your strengths off each other. My parents had a couple of small businesses You know, when I grew up. My mom had like a balloon delivery business, and we did that for a while. And it's just communication, You know, treat your clients well, treat your customers well, and just try to have fun. And those are the relationships that work best for CalSTRS is that is these honest dialogue. We have partners that tell us how screwed up we are all the time, and it's helpful. They do it in a nice way. <laughs> but if you're open to those type of criticism, you can improve. We're still getting there. I'm going to make Calsters nimble in another five years. <laughs> you know, Mike, I think you've been there and you're doing that. <laughs> oh, man. Mike, how is ESG impacting you and your portfolio? Specifically, you know, is diversity impacting your manager choices or is climate change impacting investment strategy? It has for a while and it's even more so lately. And I appreciate you bringing that up because, you know, that is one of the challenges I think we all have in our industry is how we can pack this. So we actually have a group in CalSTRS that was the corporate governance group, but is now called the Sustainable Investment and Stewardship Strategies. That's a mouthful. We just call it SIS. And we, they used to invest only in like corporate governance strategies to the public market. And they are reaching out to invest with the private markets now. Mm-hmm. And the first strategies we're doing with them from a sustainability standpoint is affordable housing. And it's really a nice fit. It's something that we like, that we believe in. It's good, strong cash flow for the system. And it also, mm-hmm. you know, allows us to build and maintain good affordable housing in the marketplace, which is a need across the country. 
we're not limiting it just to California. We're doing it across the country. So, you know, that's something we're doing on the investment side. We always challenge our partners to tell us what they can do, you know, for greening of the buildings, if you will. And actually, Nancy, you had someone on one of your podcasts that was in New York. I'm sorry, I don't remember the gentleman's name that talked about LEED and what they're doing in New York. And I like that because... Malkin from Empire Realty Trust. Yes, from Empire Realty Trust. And I like that because what he did is essentially say, forget, you know, what people are saying they need to do. Think about what is the most important thing. And it spoke to me because it was really these common sense approaches of what really makes a difference. And so that's what we do with our partners as well. We challenge them to what can you do that really makes a difference in managing Mm -hmm. the building. We do a lot of construction. So the development of the buildings and making sure the buildings are sustainable as well. So we're doing a lot in that front. On a diversity standpoint, same thing. We just challenge our partners. We don't have any rules. You know, you have to have this or that. But we challenge our partners and just ask them, what are you doing on the diversity front? And all are striving in some way. And if they have a good idea of what they might do in their local community to help out of how they've built diversity on their team, then we ask them if they can share it with our other partners. So I don't think there's a standard plan to fix any of this stuff. But challenging, you know, the folks that work with us and asking what they do well and having them put their best foot forward has worked for us so far. Well, Mike, you've done such a great job in helping a very large plan figure out how to let the real estate speak for itself, perform well above average, and just create a wonderful culture and good partners. I'm just thrilled that you've been willing to share your thoughts with our audience today. I know people will benefit from it. And I just thank you very, very much for your generosity of spirit, generosity of time, and for hanging out with us on this Sunday morning. Well, always enjoy talking to you both, and I hope we'll all be able to see each other soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Real Estate Capital. Before you go, I have a quick favor to ask. We put a lot of thought and effort into this show and making sure we bring you insights from real estate leaders that you don't normally find in the mainstream media. So if you're enjoying the show, please remember to follow it on your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode. We'd also love for you to share it with others or give us a review on Apple Podcasts so others can find us. Thanks again for tuning in. For more information about our firm, please visit our website at parkmadisonpartners.com.